everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy. I appreciate you joining us again today. If you missed yesterday's program, you definitely need to go back and check that one out. I am with Pastor T.S. Lushan from the Hilltop Baptist Church in, forgot the name of the town, in Pennsylvania. Hunker? Hunker, Pennsylvania. Hunker, yes. Pennsylvania. And uh, we had a great discussion about his book, Crept in Unawares. And if you have not got, got a copy of this book yet, make sure you follow the link in the description and go and purchase a copy of that book. Uh, we need to get this into the hands of people, uh, especially Baptist preachers. And uh, this is pre-recorded, but yesterday I put it out that at the end of the program, I'm going to give out five copies to the first five preachers or pastors who email me at the spirit of prophecy 1611 at gmail.com. Give me your name, your church information, uh, mailing address, and I will send you a copy of this book. I want it in, uh, I want it in your hands. So make sure you do that. Once I get the first, the five, uh, that, that's all I can afford right now. But, um, but you can go and follow this link and purchase a copy and I guarantee you'll be blessed. So not going to repeat everything uh, that we did, uh, we covered yesterday, but I do want to jump right back into this conversation uh, about the book and kind of go into a little more about the book and the challenges that are in it. But when we get to chapter two of the book, it's about contending uh, for the faith. And I've noticed that people who can't refute what you teach in this book uh, they seem to go and lay down the, the contentious card. You're just being contentious. You're just going overboard. And, and again, this book, it comes, comes across very strongly, uh, for sure. I, you know, there was a few times I'm reading this and I'm just like, wow, you know, cause, uh, <laughs> that, you know, that, that, that's pretty harsh. But, uh, again, you know, the more I think about it and the problems it's caused, the more I'm just like, you know what? Even if these guys are a little more upset than I am about some of this stuff, you know, I, I can't get I can't get mad at you for it. And so do you think these differences are worthy of such sharp rebuke or even division? Well, you know, the scripture says, you know, we're to earnestly contend for the faith, not just contend. I mean, you look at the word contend. That's pretty strong. That's a fight. That's a battle. And then to earnestly contend, and now he's adding an adjective to it, which says, you know, it's more than just contend. It'd be nice if some preachers would just contend, never mind earnestly contend. And I think that's what we've lost. We're to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. That one delivery did not include dispensationalism, fundamentalism, theology. It didn't include any of those things. It was the faith that was once delivered and completed by the words in God's book. By the way, the scripture says that we're to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in, in the faith. Now, he's not talking about uh, someone who actually is maybe being a wolf. He's talking about uh, people who in general in a church were to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. I joke with Brother Sharp, that verse was written for him, rebuke them sharply. <laughs> but, but, you know, when people get a sharp rebuke, they do. Like you said, they lay down the contentious card. Mm -hmm. Contend and contentious. Think of the two words. Contentious is the wrong attitude. Contend and earnestly contend is commanded by God. Every single Baptist preacher that's been ordained by the words of that book 
is supposed to be earnestly contending for that faith, not for their own sect of theology or systematic theology or their beliefs or what they believe about Schofield. We're to contend for the faith. You know, when we put this stuff together, that automatically uh, brings uh, some contention to the top. But it's not us being contentious. It's those that will not bend to the scriptures that are being contentious. And they're like a little kid in a sandbox said, well, then I'm going to hit you. You hit me, so I'll hit you. It's ridiculous. And that's what we're seeing. You know, I enjoyed the conversation we had. We may not agree on everything, but we can have a conversation if the words of God are at the base mm. and they're the first thing that we're trying to agree with. We're not trying to agree with each other. We're not trying to, uh, to do any of that. You know, that scripture that says in Amos, except two walk, Hawkins two walk together, except they be agreed. Most people are saying, if you're my friend, I'll agree with you. If you're in my group, I'll agree with you. No, no, God's saying, if you agree with my word, then you two can walk together. That's the difference. So, yes, it is absolutely necessary. By the way, one of the wiles of the devil is he takes the Holy Ghost words and uses them in a the wrong way. The word contentious in the word of God is specifically used for those who do not obey the word of God. Contentious is used for those who don't obey. Isn't it like the devil to turn it around on us who are trying to uphold the word of God and say we're contentious? Mm -hmm. It's a reverse exactly what the devil does every single time. I agree. You know, in, in your book, too, you guys, I, I forgot which one of you covered it, but you accurately um, use the term rightly dividing in the book, so, which a lot of people, their proof of dispensationalism is 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says rightly dividing, um, which you know, is ridiculous. But interestingly enough, all of 2 Timothy chapter 2 is about basically preserving good doctrine. You know, he says... <laughs> The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach other also. Then he goes on to say, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. And, and, and you know, no man that warreth entangled himself. So throughout this passage, there's all these references to fighting and, and uh, you know, enduring hardness, being a soldier. And it really is a battle. And it's kind of funny how, in what we would call the, you know, the, in the liberal world, you know, in the evangelifish world, as I've heard some people call it, you know, they yeah. act like if you're ever fighting or being contentious, you know, you're mean, your spirit's bad, something's wrong with you, you know. And then in the Baptist world, we're like, no, we've been called to be a soldier, we've been called to fight, but yet, yeah, isn't it interesting that independent Baptists, you know, they're using the same again, they're using the same arguments of the new evangelical crowd you know, against you guys when you're literally doing just that. I mean, and, and you're taking heat, you know, taking taking grief, taking shots, you know, for just trying to get people to stick to the word of God. Because the things you, you guys are bringing up, too, even if even if you want somebody wants to make an argument, these are minor things. But they're right. So if they're right, why can't we just correct it? Why do we why do we have to? Uh, you know, fight with these, fight with these guys, lay down the contentious card, all that kind of stuff. I think it's just, I think it's kind of hypocritical. Well, you know, what's happening is just like with the Pharisees, they became politicians. They joined up with politicians. They no longer upheld the words of God and they criticized the word of God in flesh. 
Well, instead of being soldiers, earnestly contending for the faith, instead of, instead of you know, fighting a good warfare, what the scripture teaches us, a lot of Baptists are becoming politicians. You know, if you agree with me, I'll agree with you. We'll leave out this. We won't cause any contention. We won't cause a division. Well, the, the scripture speaks very clearly in John that Jesus caused division. Well, who did he cause the division with? Those who were supposed to be teaching the word of God. He didn't, he wasn't guilty of anything. The division comes naturally when the words of God are spoken and held to and defined as they're written in his book. In English, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the criticism I've heard, you know, comes from what you, what you guys teach about our connection as believers to the church in the wilderness. And that's another thing that, you know, I agree with when I read uh, Pastor Edwards book, a continuation of the church in the wilderness. I, I loved it. I'm like, man, this is, this is good stuff. This is what I believe. Uh, but at the same time too, again, if, if you're somebody who already believes that get the book anyway, cause you're going to get more ammo from this. There was, there were several, several things like that. And so, uh, you know, there was a lot of good stuff debunking the, you know, I believe heresy of dispensational salvation. And that's an area too, where I've always drawn a line with dispensationalists It's like, you know, I, I typically get along with them fine, but they start teaching dispensational salvation. It's just like mark and avoid it, right. it, I, I think that's a major heresy, but even Baptists that I would consider doctrinally sound on salvation, uh, who teach against dispensational salvation are often critical of what you guys are teaching about the church and when it started. And, and so you want to say a little bit about that and, you know, why this is an important issue. Okay. Well, again, if we start with the words of God, um, the first time God said, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And then immediately Moses was given the pattern of the tabernacle, which is in heaven right now. And he built it here on earth. That's the first time the word tabernacle was used. The last time is in revelation when we see it again, and it's attached also with a temple. Well, then if we take that first mention in Scripture of the word tabernacle, a temporary place where God's people would meet, where he would meet with his people, correct? Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a mystical thing. It wasn't that they became a Jew and automatically were part of the temple or part of the tabernacle. It was a place where they went for God to meet with them. All right? So now you go to Acts 7.38, Moses and the church in the wilderness. Holy Ghost gave those words. Okay, so chronologically, what did the Holy Ghost just do? He attached the word church to tabernacle. It's speaking about the exact same time frame, the exact same place, the exact same building. We've been criticized when people say that you think the church is just a building. It has nothing to do with that, but it was a place where God met with his people. One of the problems with theology is it has redefined the definition of the word church itself. Church is one word among at least 12 that define and give us, identify places where God met with people. It's only one word out of, and you can pick up the other ones, tabernacle, temple, synagogue, congregation. I mean, you can go through all the words. Church is one. What theology has done is made church this mystical gathering of people. They leave out the family of God. When I got saved, I was 
born again into the family of God. I was adopted into a family. Okay. How did I become part of a church? I got baptized. I became a member. I wasn't automatically part of the church when I got saved. That is one of the biggest misconceptions about the word church. And again, if you go to the words of the Holy Ghost, tabernacle, Moses, church in the wilderness, you have to reevaluate your definition of the word church itself. And once that's done, then you go through and now you're reading church not as a mystical entity, but as a place where God's people were to temporarily meet on earth. Hmm. And eventually it will be in the new Jerusalem on a new earth. And even then it's temporary <laughs> because that tabernacle will come from heaven down to a new earth. The Holy Ghost is extremely careful how he uses words. So again, tabernacle, Moses, church in the wilderness. I'm sorry. There is no way to refute that unless you say something like, well, the word church can be used for something else. Okay, fine. But prove it with scripture and prove it by the first mention of scripture. So that's why we stick with that because of the words of God. My definition of the word church, I want to say that I only got it from scripture. For years, I used to wonder, what is this thing? What is it? An entity? Is it? Is it a living organism? What is it? And then the Holy Ghost reminded me, tabernacle, pattern, place where God would meet with his people, dwell among them on earth, a physical building and an organization has a hierarchy. And I use that loosely. Mm -hmm. Moses, Aaron, the priests. Okay. Certain things were done there, but it was always physical. And by the way, if the trumpet were to sound today, aren't we going to be gathered together in a physical place? Mm -hmm. So why is it that people make church this mystical entity? It's very mm -hmm. interesting if you think about it. And if we go to scripture first, I've had men absolutely criticize me personally. And Brother Sharp has been criticized and Brother Edwards and others uh, because we say that there was a church in the wilderness. Their definition of the word church is not what the Holy Ghost is. Theirs is this entity where everybody that's saved is automatically part of the church. Well, wait a minute. If the Holy Ghost said it was back there with Moses in the wilderness, they better redefine their word. Mm -hmm. They better check it through Scripture to see how God uses it and how he uses other words to interpret the word church. Congregation. It's 360 sometimes in the Word of God. Well, Psalm 22, 22, in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. When the Holy Ghost had Paul quote that word, that verse, he said, in the midst of the church, will I praise thee. So what did he, the Holy Ghost gave the interpretation of the word congregation? Because they're part of the same thing. It's a continuation of. Um, Jesus said in John 10, uh, uh, he talked about the fold, the one fold, mm -hmm. not divisions of a fold, one fold. He said other, others <laughs> are going to come in. He's talking about the Gentiles who would come into the fold that already existed. I guarantee most Baptists have not gone through and studied the word fold in Scripture. Just that word alone. It has to do with flock. It has to do with a shepherd, physical place on earth. That's why it's so important to just define words by God's words. Uh, yes. And there's been so, I've, I've noticed too, whenever you're kind of, you know, dealing with somebody and maybe arguing a little bit about theology, one of the things that you'll find that I found out is that 
so much confusion has come from not only misuse of the word, but also um, the extra words. So for, for example, too, the term, and you guys mentioned this in your book, the term rapture of the church. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, well, wait a minute. Okay. And, and I get it. I know what people are talking about when they say the word rapture. I'm not trying to be, I, I use that term. Yeah. Uh, but you, but at the same time, too, when you say rapture of the church, then you have people that go as far as using that to prove that only the New Testament saints are resurrected at the rapture. You've got some people that go as far as say that it's not even just all the saved. You know, you've got to be a part of the church and right. it's got to be the true church. And you get in, it just there's all this weird stuff people go into because of these extra biblical terms or misuse of terms. Well, think about this. What's God's word for that? It's the first resurrection. Mm -hmm. All right. One of my Baptists have studied that out. It's in three parts. One part's already happened. And those, mm -hmm. as I'll use the term, Old Testament saints, they came up with Jesus. We're seen in Jerusalem. They were the first fruits. The first resurrection is in three parts. If people would just study that out, then they would never say rapture of the church because that excludes everybody as their theology teaches before Pentecost or before Matthew where they say the church began. It has to exclude all of those because the first resurrection, one part of it, one third of it has already occurred. There's a second and third part yet to happen. You know how many people don't understand that? And they've never run that through their mind and gone to scripture and looked up everything to do with the first resurrection hmm. and put a chronological timeline together. Yep. They would well, never use the term rapture of the church. Yeah. And another argument, probably the main argument I've heard against, uh, and, and it's funny too, because, you know, people will talk about the church in the wilderness doctrine, which, I mean, the, Stephen literally said, church in the wilderness. So again, you know, this, this doctrine, I mean, at least it's clearly stated in the Bible, but, um, one of the things they'll use to debunk it is the law of first mention. And the fact that, uh, Jesus said, you know, thou art Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. That right. proves that, uh, that church is this new thing. Uh, even though you guys point out in the books, uh, in the book where it uses, uh, church in the New Testament, quoting an Old Testament scripture where it says mm -hmm. congregation. But, you know, is there any hope of winning people over when they can literally debunk clear scripture with the law of first mention? It's, listen, again, even that uh, Schofield taught the law of first mention. Mm -hmm. He did. Now, I happen to believe you take a word of God's book, look it up trace it all the way through, you will come up with an understanding of that word. Mm -hmm. You don't need a dictionary. You do not need anybody's notes. You don't need a commentary. If you'll take the time to do it, you can discover exactly what the Holy Ghost used that word to produce. Mm -hmm. Every word in that book was set by God to produce a certain purpose and certain thoughts. Not our thoughts, his thoughts. So, when we, when we stick with the words, just with, with the church, when we stick with that, 
the, the, the church in the wilderness, chronologically, what did the Holy Ghost do? He pointed our minds back to the church in the wilderness. When we let scripture interpret itself, that's talking about the tabernacle. It's talking about a congregation. They all fit together. It's really simple. It's kind of hard to refute if you just stick with the words of scripture. Um, I, yeah, I agree. And again, I believe, I think the first mentioned principle is a good principle when studying your Bible, but it's not like this law, like no. it, it trumps what the Bible says, you know? And so, uh, I, I find that very frustrating when people bring that up. But, um, so when it comes to this, um, you know, something that, you know, we've, t when we've been touched on this, but the thing that really challenged me in this book, as well as some of the preaching, uh, that I've heard from you is that importance of using right words. And, I, I've been talking about this myself for a long time, uh, which was one of the reasons when I kind of heard some shots being taken at you guys, I thought, wait, are they shooting at me? Even though I didn't know I was on the radar, but, uh, you know, because I was kind of doing the same thing. But again, there's a lot of areas and specifics that you have covered that I guess I haven't got to yet. And, and so I've been challenged a lot by that importance of using uh, right words. And so can you talk about just a little more about that concept and maybe just give us a few examples of words or even the changing of words and the confusion that's come from it? Okay. Very simple. God said first, he's not the author of confusion. Confusion is when two thoughts don't fit together. You can't, you can't reason them out. They don't make sense. All right. If we come up against something in the word of God and we don't understand, that's not confusion. That's lack of understanding. Confusion is where you hear two differing things and they don't match. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll use the example, the word dispensation, as I've mentioned already, and add an S to it. You just change not only the word, but you change the use and grammar of the word. So now it produces confusing thoughts. Is it a disbursement of the words of God or is it a time period? That's confusion. God is not the author of confusion. He didn't put an S on the word dispensation. The scripture speaks about, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are light. Little s. The little s has to be defined very carefully because it, mean, it can mean spirit of man. It can mean attitude. It can mean words. It can mean an unholy spirit. It can mean the Holy Spirit of God. So we have to make sure we use context. But words are spoken of as spirit. Uh, scripture says we're to try the spirits, whether they are of God, because there are many false prophets gone out in the world. What's he saying? Test their words. Test their words. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. If I went through a Bible college and learned from the classrooms and I took in those words, that becomes the spirit of my mind. That's the words that I have in me. And a lot of men, they're in innocence. That's all they have. And I really believe that's the case with most of what we're talking about. There's very, I think there's not as many wolves as we think. There's an innocence. There's an unlearned aspect or someone in error. Well, those words are in their mind. Okay. So what, what happens? What do we think with? Words. What do we speak with? Words. How do we express our feelings? Words. Correct? Mm -hmm. um, isn't the Lord Jesus said to be the word of God and the Alpha and Omega, the letters of the words also? Here's what I've told people often. Jesus is the words in that book. The words in his book are him. The word was made flesh. That's some, not some mystical thing. It's true. 
You and I right now are a combination of the words that we have in us. I think you would agree with that. Mm. How we think, logic, speak, feel, combination of words. Well, I've worked for the last 15 years of getting any words that were not in God's book out of me so that I can have the spirit of my mind renewed. And let me tell you something, it becomes very pointed. Because when you hear someone speak, you automatically start to realize the spirit of their mind is different. They're not doing it on purpose. They may be deceived. They just don't know. I have talked with a few that are wolves. There's a different category there. So when we're talking about the words and the importance of words, how particular is God with his words? Does he allow a little bit of error, a little bit of leaven? Or is it absolute with him? in any language that he chose to produce his book in. He is the creator of languages. I mean, he's the first one that dispersed the languages when it was one language on earth, and he made many. Well, then I think he could understand how to put it into a book. And we, of course, have now the English. One book in English, one. The importance of those words, I don't think we can overemphasize it. Last thought about that in John 12, verse 47, 48. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. He said, I came to save the world. He said, the words that I've spoken unto you, they, he said, they will be your judge on the last day. The same, the same words. So that tells me that the word that was settled in heaven, the ones that were given to Moses, those through the time of earth to our present day, those same words, regardless of language, and by the way, I think we can assume God's not going to have one for English, one for Greek, one for Hebrew at the judgment seat. We're going to understand mm -hmm. words. He gave us the ability to speak English back at Babel. He can immediately reverse it, just like he did at Pentecost, where they understood in their own language. So you can't overemphasize words. Words are how we think. Words how God are how God chose to express himself and teach us about him. We cannot separate the words from the book. And when somebody uses the wrong words, we need to help them to understand, wait a minute, stop, think. That's why, that's why we're doing what we're doing. I, yeah, that's so good. And it is true. Uh, you mentioned trying to get the wrong words out of you. That's a, that's a big process. It's difficult. And, and, uh, and I'm working on the same thing and I do, I, you know, and that's the thing I've, I've noticed because I've listened to your, a lot, of, a lot of your preaching and, uh, what I enjoy about it is I can see the discipline you have with your words. And so, um, I don't wonder what you're teaching ever. And, and so I've caught myself too, just when I've been talking to you, you know, uh, you know, emailing you, it's like, I'm being a little more careful with my words. Cause I know this guy pays attention to that. And I want to, I want to communicate the right thing, you know? And, uh, and I think we need to be challenged on that. And one of the big things that's causing people to transition away from the King James Bible is they're making this claim that people don't understand it. And I will and and the thing is, first off, you know, I disagree. I don't think the King James is too hard to understand. But at the same time, I think it's so important that we keep our language pure, especially when it comes to theological things. 
that way people aren't confused when we are trying to communicate a truth to them. And if we're always updating the words, then I think that's just going to add more confusion. And, and, and I've noticed when it comes to people that I'm having maybe some major disagreements with that I believe are good Christians that are, that are trying to be honest doctrinally, I've found out that a lot of things that people are preaching wrong, it's just because they, they do have a misunderstanding of a Bible word. They're, they're defining it wrong. And I do think a lot of that has to do with misuse. And I, I think if we're King James only, like we say we are, then we should be using the words of the King James Bible the same way that they were originally given. And I think we're getting away from that. You know, God said he wrote a book. Not, not even Bible. He wrote a book. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book. Um, the words in that book are not a translation of words. They are the interpretation by the Holy Ghost of the book that's always been settled in heaven. A lot of men haven't got that down yet. And we always, you know how it is, people use the King James translation. They use the word translation. That word is never used in relation to words, not one time in God's book. Interpret, interpretation or interpreted is 360 sometimes. God interprets for us from one language to another. He doesn't translate. Translate leaves up to synonyms that are similar, but they're not the word God put in. That will even cause different thoughts. When we start with one of God's words, uh, interesting thought. Back when God told the first writer of Scripture, Moses, Moses, write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words will I make my covenant with thee and with Israel. You ever looked up the word tenor? It's an amazing word. It's Moses, you write these words. The word tenor has to do with the highest male voice. Any usage of it that you have, the, a legal document, that which will bear record, the original Moses, write thou these words for after the tenor of these words. What have people done? They've replaced the tenor. They've replaced the words with the tenor. As long as you have the thought, it doesn't matter if we use a different word. No, no, no. God says you write these words. They produce my tenor. What I want you to think, that is so simple. Hmm. It'll guide anybody who will follow that. Moses was the first scripture writer, wasn't he? Okay, there's God's instruction. Here's how it's supposed to be. John, at the end, the last writer of scripture. Don't add to it, take away from these words. These words. Same. That's good. So would you agree that while the words of God, they never change meaning, you know, the Bible still means the same thing it meant when it was originally given, society's use of those words often change over time. And so when you see someone using a word in a way that's unbiblical or taking a Bible word and replacing it uh, with a word that isn't in the Bible, you know, are you accusing them of teaching something that, you know, I'm sure they're not intending to teach or, or are you, are you just trying to challenge them to get back to proper use of the words? Cause I know you and brother Sharp have been critical of, of the use of the word missionary. And so uh, people kind of act like you're almost against missionaries, but you know I think you're just challenging the use of the word, in my opinion. So I guess you know what do you say to all that? Well, first of all, my intent is to be right with the words of God. What that the residual 
cause of that, what happens afterwards, I, I can't change that because of what I think it'll cause. For instance, if I take the word messenger instead of missionary, there's a lot behind that um, because of some of the ministry that we have dealing with Israel. Well, the word in God's book is not missionary. That's all we're saying. It's not there. I'm thankful for the men that have been out on a foreign field and won people to the Lord and built churches. Wonderful. That's wonderful. That's not the issue. The issue is, is it a word of God or not? And what will it cause? And what will happen if I use the wrong word once I learn that it's not one of God's words? What's going to happen to me at the judgment seat of Christ? I'm going to have a hard enough time there as it is. Never mind, willingly using a word. I, I put it like this, and you've probably done the same thing. You go to your pulpit, and you put a copy of God's King James on one side, put an NIV on the other, and they ask this question. Which one's the Holy Ghost going to use? He's not going to wade through a false version. He's not going to do it. Okay, do the same thing with each individual word. Take the word missionary, the word messenger. Which one's the Holy Ghost going to use? Or which one is he going to back away from? We have become so conditioned to not having the Holy Ghost involved in our teaching, our learning, our preaching, and studying the scriptures, that it's just words without the Spirit. Didn't God say that the letter of the law killeth, but the Spirit, it giveth life? Okay? It does come across sometimes like we're ac accusing. But, you know, even the devil does that. An accusation is mostly a soulish reaction that's not based on knowing the truth. Just an accusation. Um, I can't accuse you, for instance, of not believing something unless I talk to you about what you actually believe. So if I'm talking to somebody about missionary or messenger, as you've mentioned, first I have to decide, okay, uh, why are they using the word? Do they know what the history of is? It? And it has to be a very gracious conversation. It can't be, hey, you know, you're going to go to hell for using the word <laughs> missionary. You know, and, and I know a lot of Baptists, that seems to be their, their you know, uh, more like a brute beast mentality. Uh, you know, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Um, there has to be a balance. You know, the Lord Jesus was very pointed, but he, he reserved some of his strongest words for those who are supposed to know better. The average church member, if they see missionary messenger, they may have a hard time switching to the right word. And they probably don't think that they're doing anything wrong. And they're still supporting the winning of souls. I understand that. But it all comes down to respect for the words of God. And you hear that out of me all the time. That's the issue. It's not the issue of whether it's right or wrong or if we're accusing somebody, that's just not how it is. You know, if you look at the word accusing, Scripture uses that when men can't decipher the truth and their own conscience either accuses or excuses themselves. And so that's very interesting to think about there. But we never think that they're just, we don't accuse them of doing something wrong. We try and get them to think, what are you doing? And there's a huge difference. Yeah. Well, man, that, that's a lot of said good stuff. It's challenging stuff. It, it really is. It's it's uh, it's challenging. This book it challenges people, and I, I don't think we ought to be afraid of that. You know, if people are secure 
in their uh, beliefs, doctrine, practices, whatever, uh, they ought to be able to uh, handle reading this book. Either way, they're going to learn something. You know, they're going to learn something even if they don't necessarily agree with everything in it. And I think I think it's very viable. So just kind of a couple final uh, closing things. You know, I guess, uh, you know, right here, uh, if you could, were standing in front of all the independent Baptist preachers right now, what would you tell them? What would your challenge to them be? Take one week, one week with yourself, the word of God, spirit of God go through and list your vocabulary words that you use in your ministry just list them then go through that list and see where did this word come from it doesn't take all that long a lot of Baptists don't have a big vocabulary I know that's a little harsh statement but it's true go through and test your own words try the spirits whether they be of God where did you get that word from? Where did it come from? You know, we're told in Timothy that men are going to depart from the faith, depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. That's not some devil standing in a corner. That's words. They're going to depart from the faith. That means they were once in it. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of good men right now that if they would just do an inventory of their personal vocabulary words, Test them with scripture. I've had to do this. I wrote a book years ago that was used in, in, in Bible colleges on the faith, God's answer to biblical theology. It's some 86,000 words. Do you realize I've had to go through and take out words? Hmm. And I'm supposed to be upholding the words of the faith? I had to take out words like Trinity. God's word is Godhead. Demon. That's not in God's book. It's devils. I had to go through and take out words. I even took out the word Bible and put in the book of God and got criticized for that. <laughs> so do a personal inventory. Now, here's what it does. First of all, every time you read his book, you're looking for just what those words say. You don't want any preconceived ideas. You don't want what you've got as a definition of a word to interfere. Wouldn't that make our relationship with God and the spirit of God a thousand times better? Just take a vocabulary test on your own mm. well, and it, just do it yourself. Mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a discipline. Like I said, and that's what I, I, I've noticed about you. Know, you. You are disciplined in that area, and I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. And you know, it's something I want to work on when it comes to, because again, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm trying to teach. I'm trying to communicate. And, and it's discouraging as a pastor, too, when you get up and you preach something and people get the wrong idea and, and, you know, and sometimes it might be their fault. They weren't listening very good, but sometimes it might be, I wasn't communicating properly. Yeah. And so anything I can do to, you know, help people get the message better. And I don't, I do. I think, I think the Holy spirit is more likely to use his words over my words. And so, you know, let's, you know, get disciplined in that area. And again, just, just even listening to you, and talking to you, reading this book, listening to the preaching, it does. It, it has me reflecting on a lot of things. And I think I think I think people need that. And that's why I'm uh, I'm putting this out there, you know, and, and wanting to promote it. But I and I think too many who've been doing things wrong for the long time. I mean, you know how Baptists are. They're 
probably unlikely to change <laughs> in a lot of these areas. So I think the important thing is, is when it comes to the younger preachers, you know, so that before they develop these bad habits. So, you know, what's some advice you have for the younger up and coming preachers out there? Well, it's very simple. First of all, the Lord established a church as a place to meet. We're supposed to do the teaching and preaching. We're supposed to be the overseers. We're supposed to preach the word instant in season, out of season. Where did we come up with this idea of Bible college? And I know that's a strange thing. And here we have an op school online based only on the words of God. What I would challenge them to do is, first of all, know that you're called by God. Number two, get alone in that book and you start studying on your own. Here's an interesting statistic. The average Baptist Bible college in the United States, what, 126 to 140 credit hours? Has anybody ever found out how many of those credit hours are given to teaching doctrine? And they call it doctrines, mm -hmm. plural, which is always negative in God's book. Six hours. Mm. Six hours. So these young guys, the best of the best in their churches, called to preach, sent off to, to learn, learn what for 140 hours of classroom time an average of six hours of doctrine hold on no wonder our churches are in a mess mm -hmm. our op school we have more pastors take it as a refresher course because it weeds out words that shouldn't be in our minds if we can get the young guys that are starting in the future, I don't know how much time we have left. We don't know. Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. So whatever time we have left, what if we could get a group of young men together who take just the words in that book as they are, have the discipline to look up a word in God's book first, throw the commentaries away, including my books, and take the word of God and look at the words, find out how the Holy Ghost used them, if we weren't introduced these theological terms, they wouldn't be in our mind. We'd only have the words of God there. Why don't people see the validity of that? I don't understand. And for those who do have a Bible college, why don't they start teaching the words of God as they are, instead of philosophy, instead of whatever? Start teaching the individual words of God. You know, there's only 20 basic parts of doctrine in God's book. You can go through that in a few months on your own. You start with the Word of God, God, go in chronological order <laughs> down to the last things, and just look up every single verse of Scripture that deals with those 20 parts. It's not hard to do. Instead of being spoon-fed, feign words, mm. which will make merchandise of you. Do you know how many thousands of dollars have been put into Bible colleges and those feigned words have made merchandise of those students? Mm -hmm. I know that's critical. I know that's harsh. But we are going to face a judgment seat to stand before the Alpha and Omega where his words will be our judge. We have got to get back to this somehow. We can't do anything about the past. We cannot do a thing about the past. We can learn from it. But the new guys that are coming up, if you're called to preach, if you're called to pastor, if you're called to be an evangelist, 
you had better understand the words that you're going to use. And they better not be something the Holy Ghost says, oh, can't use that thought. I can't use that word. I wonder how many sermons have been preached where the Holy Ghost says, okay, when are you going to get to one of my words? Yeah. We're good at theology. We can list all those things. We can list all the names. That's what I would tell the younger ones. And it takes work. It takes discipline. I think we're supposed to be like that. Especially if we're going to use the words of God to preach. Well, I all I can say is what you're saying is painfully true. And it's an, it's an uncomfortable truth it's a you know it's inconveniently true but you know at some point we've got to actually prove that the bible the book god's book is the authority on things and um but yeah yeah man i i, I can't really add anything to that you, you said it you said it good and it is it's it's challenging this is challenging stuff you know people used to go to meetings to get challenged, you know, and to learn. But now it's just more just kind of pep rally, you know, a lot of really shallow stuff. And it really is disappointing. And, you know, you, and you mentioned it in Bible colleges how there's barely any, they're, they're barely learning doctrine at all. And what's happening is what I'm seeing is there's a lot of promotion of loyalty to the institution and I, I'm not against that to a certain extent, but the problem is as soon as these guys get out of sorts with these guys, they're going to dump everything that they taught, they were taught. And if they could get their young men to fall in love with God's words, then, you know, you can't get away from that. And, you know, and I'm somebody too, who, again, just, you know, my stand against dispensationalism has gotten me a lot of grief. And looks like we just lost him, but uh, oh, there we go. He's he's back. Um, it's got me a it's got me a lot of grief, but at the same time, um, you know, I, you know, while I've had a lot of mistakes in the past, I'm not I'm not been perfect. You know, the one thing that my dad definitely did for me is he did cause me to fall in love with God's word, and right. I started reading through it at a very young. I read through the Bible the first time at nine years old. And there, I have read through it at least once every year since then, with the exception of two years. Um, there's been, and, and I've read it multiple times other years. You know, my dad instilled that in me. So when it comes to uh, the politics of things, I've got no reason to stay loyal to the independent Baptist crowd. But it's my, you know, loyalty to the scripture that keeps me in in there in that camp and keeps me king james only and things like that can i interject something there absolutely okay think about what you just said i understand exactly what you're saying i understand the validity of it i want to ask you a question and this will help people that are listening the word loyalty is it in one of god's vocabulary words it is not it is not in fact you know what it goes against respecters of persons Mm. it's opposite think about that um, we're to be faithful to the words of God not loyal to men or groups here's an interesting thought <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the term alma mater 
Uh, I believe, yeah, I just found out. I think it was that it was that's in the book it here. Might yes, have been. yes. Well, how many of us say, well, that so and so school was my alma mater? Mm -hmm. It means holy mother. I know. <laughs> I didn't know that until I read that. I was like, holy cow, that sounds so, terrible. You know, and, and I understand there's people do it in innocence. Uh -huh. but here's what I always wonder what is the devil doing when people say that? Mm -hmm. I, I can, I can, I can deceive that person. I can give him other words and he'll accept it. Mm -hmm. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for an entrance and he uses words. <laughs> yeah. Well, no <laughs> doubt about it, but well, Hey, we could, uh, so we could probably do another, uh, hour conversation easy, just talking about some of these specific words that you're bringing up and uh, we're not going to do that, but I would challenge you to go, uh, check out pastor Luchon's, uh, YouTube channel. I'll leave a link to that. Uh, in the description as well as a link to the book but for sure go get yourself a copy of the, of the book crept in unawares and i know i i know fun i know independent fundamental baptist i know that world your your head's probably exploding right now after listening to all this but if you could just calm down chill out and just actually take the time to think about some of the things that he brought up and really take it to heart cuz we are all making mistakes and errors uh when it when it comes to this kind of thing and i believe this discipline as i as i call it of just being sticklers to the words of god and using the words of god in these things is it's going to help you straighten a lot of things out and i think all of us have a desire to be as true to the scriptures as we can and i do i think i think that discipline will make a difference and and i am i am i am working on it uh, with myself. Um, I've got stuff I got to work out of me. You know, the word disciples is discipline once. Interesting. We're supposed to be disciples. Discipline. I, I agree. So, well, all right. Well, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this discussion. Do you have any final words for us before we close it out? Whenever you discover this and you begin to correct it in yourself, whoever is listening to this, it's going to hit hard. Pride's going to get in the way. Uh, I discovered years ago the word pride is never used in God's book in a positive sense. When we say, I'm proud of you, the no. devil must love it. It's not in his book in that way. God doesn't use that word because only by pride cometh contention. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get up and say from a pulpit, you know, I've, I've taught the wrong words. I've had the wrong words in me. You know what I find? It's refreshing to people. Hmm. I've had to go in our pulpit and say, hey, I used the wrong word. I've used the wrong word. It's a release. It's a confession. It's, it's the Holy Ghost saying, okay, now I can move you forward. Hmm. Instead of being stuck with pride, contention, holding on to things that aren't right. If we would just do that, it's going to be tough. And then once you do, be patient with people. Be long-suffering. They're going to automatically label us as contentious and mean-spirited and this or that. Be patient with people. One of the verses of Scripture that's helped me is Galatians 6.1. Brethren, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If I attack somebody, it's coming back at me. 
I have to have the right spirit, the right attitude. I have to decide, are they in error? Where are they fit in that scheme between error and a devil? And then deal with them accordingly. So Baptists are notorious for shooting somebody when they're down, killing our own, spiritually speaking. We need to be lifting people up and look at them and say, you know what? Maybe they don't understand. And then if you're on the other side of that, don't be so prideful to be corrected. Mm. It's, yeah. a simple, it's a simple thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Good stuff. And what's what's interesting about you mentioning that, too, um, you know, uh, not that long ago, I preached a message and um, I because yeah, a hundred percent of the time in the Bible, pride is negative. Yet, you know, I think we would all agree that a lot of times when people are saying that they're proud of their children or something like that, you know, it's yeah. not sinful what they're trying to express. So I just did the simple thing of how does God's word express it? And I, I went to the baptism of Jesus when God said, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. pleased. And so that's what we are often expressing when we say that. But it's like, you know what? Why can't we just say it like the Bible says it? Because well, see, that's the thing. Say it the way God says it. Right. The closer we do that, the better off we are. Yeah. And especially when pride is being promoted as a good thing today to promote something we all know is evil. You know, yeah. we don't need to be out there saying, you know, we're proud, you know, and using that same word that is always negative in the Bible. I think it's important that, and I get, I, I know what people are trying to express, Yeah. but yeah. in this, considering what's going on in this day and age with that word, especially considering it's negative a hundred percent of the time in the Bible, considering the fact that we're supposed to be preachers of the word of God. Why don't we just say it right and just say it like God did? And when your kids do something good and you and you have a very positive feeling, you just say, I am well pleased or something along those lines. It isn't true. God says his word won't return void. Mm -hmm. Well, when I teach and preach now, I'm not so much worrying. I try and keep the right attitude and the right spirit. I try and look at who's before me. But I also realize the words of God are not going to return void. There's power in those words. And if I use them, even if I don't see an effect now, they're not going to return void. That gives me a lot of peace. It also keeps my attitude right. Mm -hmm. Because then it's not me giving out the words. I'm giving out his words. That helps me. That helps me as a pastor. Amen. Well, all right. Well, again, really appreciate this. And pastors out there, you know what? Just... Go ahead and try an experiment of practicing a little bit of humility and just, you know what, you know, let these things help you. Everybody should have been helped by some of the things that were brought up in this conversation and, uh, and, and, and read this book. And I do I appreciate you coming on here. Um, you know, don't, don't play the politics game with Pastor Lushan. You know, he's not necessarily, you know, he, him coming on here is not him agreeing with everything that I do and say and, and vice versa. But there's, there are areas where we have some agreement and where if we did, if we wanted to spend the time, you know, just, you know, hashing every little thing out, which we probably don't, you know, we, we I'm sure we could uh, probably both, you know, help each other out in a lot of areas, you know, it's, it, it, but at the end of the day, let's not get caught up in all that kind of stuff. Let's take these things to heart, get yourself a copy of that book, read it, let it challenge you. And, 
Uh, let's let's do. We can do better in, in the independent Baptist world. We can do better doctrinally than what we're doing, and we've got to, or we're going to keep we're going to keep losing uh, our young preachers to this new evangelical crowd. Uh, uh, it's it's so important. So I believe this will help. So thank you for watching, this, everyone. And thank you again, Pastor Lucian. We will see you all next time on the Spirit of Prophecy. Thank you.